Happy Talking Tuesday of Penn State Week. That is Bill Landis. I am Austin Ward. This is the Podcast Daily, and we are ramped up. One of the biggest games of the college football season, and that is no hyperbole. That is not sarcasm. That is not tongue-in-cheek. This is a (laughs) noon game in the horseshoe between two undefeated programs that actually really, really matters. He means it, folks. He means it it this time, I promise. Penn State, Ohio State. I can't wait. I mean, it, it just I don't know, Bill. It just feels different this week. A lot of weight to this one, right? It, it's always it's always a game that I think gets you on edge a little bit, especially when Ohio State has to go to Penn State because it's like, oh, what's going to happen in the, in the whiteout game there? Um, but even this, this ah! yeah. Besides that, you know, for, thank God we're not getting that this year. Um, this this feels huge. This is I'm trying to think like a handful of games that have felt like this in my time covering Ohio State. It's like clearly the the two three Michigan game. Um, and maybe this, like I, I think the Michigan game later this year will, will feel different, obviously, and, and more elevated than this one. But this is a monster coming up on Saturday. Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of the reason why there were so many people that were kind of upset about in the Flex Premium Plus Pro family plan in the Big Ten that Penn State wasn't protected as a game because they've been so significant and yeah. they've been so meaningful. Like If you make the list, and maybe we should have done that, of those you know, the, the, the 10 years that you've been covering it, the team and the 12 for me, like it feels like there's a disproportionate amount of Ohio State Penn State games that setting aside the rivalry implications have had maybe more, more Big Ten implications, national championship implications, you know, uh, division race, you know, stakes. These two teams have played a lot of really high stakes games of consequence, and they've been, for the most part, they've lived up to the billing, which is yeah. what adds to it. Right, and I, and I think this one will too. And, and part of the dynamic in some of those years is when those teams get together, it's often the first time that either of them is tested. Now, that's not true of Ohio State this year, obviously. It is true of, of Penn State, but I think that that heightens the intrigue um, even more because I think there are – I would imagine there's going to be a lot of people picking Penn State to win this game, but I, but I think there's probably even a greater number of people who are still wondering what Penn State is. And maybe they feel like they have a beat on what Ohio State is. I. I don't know if that read would be accurate either, but um, it's a game that's going to tell us a lot about both teams, just sort of regardless of the Big Ten stakes. Like These are two of the best teams in the country, and we're going to learn a whole lot about both of them. All right. What are we going to learn later on on Tuesday in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center? Ryan Day, Jim Knowles back. Always great to get your questions because I wrote down five on Monday, and I probably could have wrote 50 more. Yeah, there there's a lot to get into. Um the first on the docket, I guess, has to be the injury stuff. Although that could be a waste of time for everybody. <laughs> not, to, not to get you wound let somebody up about let that. somebody else do that. <laughs> yeah, not to get you wound up about that uh, already. <laughs> um, but that yeah, we we have to get some sort of of lean from Ryan Day if there is if he's willing to give one on maybe Emeka Abuka first and Denzel Burke second one A one B then Travion Henderson and what's his status. Um, so that's one thing, right? Just the yeah, we don't need to belabor the point on Ohio, how Ohio State handles injuries. Um, stepping beyond that, even if Ryan Day were generous enough to provide us an update on Trevion Henderson and say whether or not they think he's going to play this week, we we need to get into the Dallin Hayden stuff now, right? Like, I thought his answers to the questions about Dallin Hayden after the Purdue game were were interesting. Like, oh, we got to rethink that now. And I thought it was very funny to say uh, he's he's at his best with the ball in his hands about a running back is a very is a very <laughs> very funny way to analyze that position it's like why well, I, I would hope so <laughs> every it's like everything he says is always in the back of his mind like he's just hinting at fumbles in practice even when he says that it's like yeah. what does he mean well, he means he means he fumbles in practice but like he has never done it in a game i talked not. to multiple people before and after the game on saturday that was like 
I mean, until he does it in a game, like you have to give him maybe the benefit of the doubt. But I understand why you don't want to if you see it on the practice field anyway. Yeah, and but but also last year when we asked him, like, do you mean he fumbles? And he's like, oh no, 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 that's not what I mean by that. So. I don't know. If that is the case, like I get I get the trepidation with it, but I think we're past that. I think Dallin Hayden needs to be some part of the plan here moving forward. So that is question number one on my mind. If we get the injury stuff out of the way, it's like, what did you think of Dallin? How does it change the plan? If you're gonna use him, like what does that look like in a world where let's assume you have four healthy running backs at your disposal? Like how do you how do you work that? Yeah, I th- the timing of it was also just wild. Um that last week was the week that he talked specifically about Dallin Hayden. Here's the plan. It's the four games in the red shirt. Like, you have to just set that plan on fire. Like, yeah. Even if all four are fully healthy and you are Ryan Day or Tony Alford and you think that he's fourth, he still adds something. It's clear every time he's been on the field. Last year, you could, you know, they kind of brushed it aside and the circumstances and the opponents, and they didn't want to put him in that situation against Michigan, and they didn't. But, man, that second half against Maryland, it, more than any of the others, is hard to shake. And then to go do that again, now it's, you can say you know, 11 carries and, and 73 yards, it's not the most statistically productive outburst of all time. But it's this offensive line is different, and I thought he was maximizing the way that it was blocked up, which wasn't bad, wasn't as elite as maybe it could have been a year ago when he was taking advantage of three NFL offensive linemen and Maryland's defensive front. Like, if you want to you know, graded on a different scale, I can sort of understand why. But it just, to me, it looks and feels different the way that he is reading what's blocked and then attacking it immediately. Like, I've, I've used that word over and over, the decisiveness. Like, that, that to me, stands out more than anything else. Yeah, and, and I think you might sacrifice some explosive potential, right, when you play Dallin Hayden. Like, he's not the, the most fleet-of-foot guy in the open field. Not that he's slow. He's got plenty of speed. He's got enough speed. He doesn't have maybe as, as much speed as Travion or, or probably – chip i'd be curious actually if he's faster than mine i wouldn't be surprised if even mine had like a better 40 time than Dallin does so but i'm i'm like okay with that and i thought too you saw he talked to us i can't remember if it was a springer in the summer about like adding more weight because he felt like he needed to be bigger to be a guy who's relied upon in the big 10 for double digit carries a game even if it didn't come his way like eventually he wanted, he wanted to get there mm-hmm. and i thought we saw that on his touchdown run like he kind of got hit at the line of scrimmage and like drove his legs and got himself over the goal line so like he's added to his game a little bit too. So I, d- I just think there's room for him. Like I'm not, I don't know that I'm here to have the conversation that like Dallin Hayden is definitely their best running back. Cause I think it's, I think it's too nuanced to say that because they all kind of bring different things to the table, but I do think he should be part of the plan clearly in a world where they don't have a dominant number one running back. And that's okay. Why not use all the guys you have at your disposal, especially when they bring something different to the table. Yeah. I think my, my hindsight 2020 perspective of this now, now that we saw him do it again against Purdue, it's like, well, why didn't you try and find out if he could have been the starter or an every down back previous to this? Because it does it doesn't compute in my brain that he could be struggling that much in practice that you didn't want to at least see it against Western Kentucky or Youngstown to make an evaluation for a game like this. Like now you just have the one body of one game body of work and you know barely over double digit carries for the season and I, again to your you're not going to just elevate him past a healthy Travion or Chip based on what they've done to this point because there's not a body of work to support that. I'm just more wondering why there wasn't an opportunity to evaluate that more in September when you had a chance and they just they just didn't do it because of preserving a year of eligibility. <laughs> like, for what? Downhill yeah. was never going to be staying for five years. 
Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know why 2026 was ever on anyone's <laughs> mind in evaluating the running back room. Um that is an, and I said this to Doug on the post game show like I should have followed up and Ryan Day said to like what do you mean you're for what? Yeah, for who? <laughs> for who for what? You're like um, Ohio State wouldn't want it in 2026. <laughs> Down Hayden doesn't want it. Yeah. So that's odd and hopefully this puts us past that. Like we'll, we'll see. Like I think you're right if the the hit that Chip took was nasty. Like I don't I don't know that I'm I saw ex- it. I'm I saw it coming. He was running yeah. like, towards the press box seat, and, I, and there were two guys there. And I mentioned this to people afterwards. I was like, "Can you just like tell him to get down? Like you're already got two guys banged up. Like you could before it happened. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, and it was bad. Like Marvin Harrison's reaction to it was like, Ugh, like when as it happened. So we'll see what his availability is. If they are a healthy room or relatively healthy room, I, I think it makes sense to balance out those touches, but. um if they're not, and like you don't have Chip, or maybe you don't have mine, we don't know what's up with him. Like I think Dallin showed you that he's deserving of a handful, or perhaps more, um, of touches in this offense moving forward. All right, where else are you going to go? Uh, we saw a little bit of slot Marv against Purdue, and um, obviously that is a byproduct of Emeka Ibuka not being available. There was an uptick in, in snaps from the slot last week. There have been. There was this this past week as well. So two weeks in a row where that number's been a little higher. The the first touchdown he scored was out of the slot. Um and, and it's even it's it's maybe just beyond the pure number of, of snaps in the snaps in the slot is hard to say. Um <laughs> I feel like they like they've been moving him around more. We saw the plays with motion with Marv last week where they like got him in the space quickly. And I just thought it was a really good plan to to utilize him on a day where he's probably going to see increased attention because Emeka Ibuka didn't play. Mm-hmm. And I thought it worked really well. And I'm, I'm just like kind of curious where they are with making him the focal point of the offense, because there have been some games this year where teams have like, quote unquote, taken him away a little bit. I also don't feel like in those games that Ohio state did enough to combat that. They just sort of like put him out where they put him out. And if teams doubled him while the ball went somewhere else, which is fine. Like, it's not like their, their passing offense has been bad because of that, but he is the best receiver in the country and they should use him as such. And I, I have found it encouraging the last two weeks that they've done that. I've seen some stuff from like some more like national coverage is like, Oh, their, their offense is just throw the ball to Marv. Like, yeah, it should be. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Why would, why wouldn't, is it there be? a coach in the country? who would be like, no, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I think it's, I think overuse Marvin yeah. Harrison. No, thank you. It feels like a winning proposition to me. So I, I would like to ask Ryan day, maybe like a, about that evolving thought process of, of ways to use Marvin. Cause I do feel like it's been different the last two weeks. I think they've also done a good job of incorporating Xavier Johnson into that without mm-hmm. it being like obvious where it's going to go and like actually letting him do receiver things. Now he did not, uh, adjust well or track that one deep shot on Kyle McCord, like, you know, spinning out of the pressure. Like, that was a hell of a play by McCord there and showing some of that athleticism that, you know, people wondered if he could do that stuff, and he did it, and then he put that ball, I thought, where it needed to be. And so Xavier didn't have a perfect game by any stretch, but I, I'm only bringing up the one slight negative as a point that the rest was really positive, and he, he does change the game. They're asking him to do a lot of different things, and, and maybe they'll have to do that again, depending on what happens with the Mecca Buka status this week. Yeah, it was, that was a good performance from Xavier. That uh, The drop was a little bit of a bummer because like it would have been a really nice kind of cherry on top of what I thought was a great game because it was a great play by Kyle. But, you know, you're not going to fault the guy for one drop, I guess. Uh, it's football's, Football is not easy. It was, uh, as Berm said, it was it was a little moist in West Lafayette. So <laughs> maybe it was more yeah. difficult to catch those balls. Than I'm glad really he didn't use that word on Saturday. <laughs> you know, he, he used it a lot on the daily on Monday. That's... <laughs> Super uncomfortable. Made me, made me uncomfortable as well. Thank you for those of you who still uh, tuned in <laughs> and kept watching even after he said it. Yeah. So. Uh, more than once. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. kudos to you. You guys are the real MVPs. Uh, all right, so you got you're looking at slot Marv. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the running game. Yeah. What else? Is this like a gap scheme run team now? Um, I'm I'm hesitant to wrap my arms around that idea. Although I and, and I think some other people who have like kind of uh, cataloged Ohio State's run game this year have noticed that they are better when they run those pin and pull plays. And we saw, I don't know what it was. I think it was like nine or ten of them against Purdue, and they all looked really good. I think with the exception of one, one for a loss, the others were all like at least I think seven yards, and a couple of them were like 17, 18, 19 yard gains. They looked excellent against Purdue. Now, Purdue's defensive structure slash their just sort of ability allows you to do that, I think, at a pretty good clip. So Mm -hmm. part of that is game plan specific. But I I think we have enough evidence now throughout the season that they are, I think, just better at doing that stuff. And I thought the offensive line looked comfortable. I thought that was the most physical they've played all year. And if they were talking about simplifying schemes and finding the things that that group does best, it seemed to me like they landed on it against Purdue. Um I wonder if the coaching staff feels the same way or if that was just like, hey, this works against Purdue, but we're going to go back to doing our old stuff when we play everybody else. It's weird It's weird to evaluate, and this this is the reminder that I you know, give myself at least. Like Every week is going to be different, so they emphasize playing more physically and, and maybe you know changing some of the schematic approach. You know, Justin Fry talked about that on Wednesday of last week, and then they went out and I thought they had a, a more productive run-blocking outing, and then the pass-blocking took maybe a slight step yeah. back throughout. Like, that's... You're not going to get everything perfect in the long, you know, held coaching uh, axiom is that you get what you emphasize. And last week it was getting better running the ball, and then they did that. But like to me, I still feel like this game on Saturday against Penn State is going to be won by Ohio State's passing attack and Kyle McCord and and having time in the pocket because you know Penn State for whatever, no matter who they've played. And it hasn't been elite competition. They've been getting after the quarterback more than anybody else in the Big Ten, and they're one of the most pressure-packed units in the country. So you yep. know that that's going to happen, and that Manny Diaz is going to bring up a lot of blitz pressure, and he thinks they've got them figured out. Like that's, you know, you so you got a little bit of improvement there with what you wanted to see on the run blocking, but now you got to do the same thing this week and make sure the protection is as sharp as it needs to be. Yeah, I, th- I thought Purdue blitzed them a lot. Um, and Penn State will blitz them a lot. It's like what Manny Diaz does. Some, some one of our texters asked, like, hey, do you think Penn State might blitz less because Kyle threw the ball pretty well against the blitz against Purdue? And I, I think no, because that, that would be Manny Diaz pivoting character, from, yeah. from, from what I think he, he wants to do. So they're a team that blitzes like 50% of the time, 60% of the time. If you look back through their games this year, I think you're going to see that again. They're going to want to stress test that offensive line of Ohio State to see if they can handle it. Uh, and Ohio State will have to find a way, I think, to create some explosive plays. Like, that is the difference between Ohio State and Penn State. Is Ohio State, even for all of its, like, inconsistencies at times on offense, has still managed to find a way to be explosive um, more often than not. And Penn State just has not been at all in any of the games they've played. So that, I think, could be a differentiating factor between these two teams as long as the offensive line can hold up well enough to give Kyle McCord and his receivers time to make a few plays downfield. After you and Jim Knowles talk about the Birds... No, we're, we're talking about the Phils. We're, 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 <laughs> we're past that. The, the birds lost. <laughs> That's we're, over? Yeah, we're on to the Phillies. On to the Phils, okay. <laughs> uh, he never talks about the Phillies. He talks about the birds a lot, though. His local football team, he likes to call them. That's right. I wonder if he – I'm going to – maybe I'll wear my Phillies hat and see if he gives me a wink or something. That's it's the test. Yeah. Uh, after, after game one on Monday night, which was a game. <laughs> it was good or bad. <laughs> it was a great game yeah. of baseball. Um, then what will you talk about? 
what you wrote about in your questions, like what's going on with Steel Chambers and Cody Simon and, and how is that evolving? Because it does, it felt like against Maryland, it was like, oh, these guys are kind of viewed similarly. It felt like against Purdue to me, it's like, I think they like Cody a little more now. So like now, now where does that leave them going into a Penn State game where Penn State, I think, is going to try to run the ball in this game. Like they have two really good running backs. They have a, a better offensive line than they typically have. I think they're going to want to protect Drew Aller on the road and, and uh, in front of a crowd that's going to really get after a kid from the state of Ohio playing in the shoe for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, that probably lends itself to playing Cody Simon a little more. Like even if Steele starts, which that might be the case. I'm not. I don't particularly care about that. It could be a game where they play them both. Like for for all I know, um, it did happen some in the fourth quarter, but that was. Resting Tommy, I imagine. Yeah, but I think it's pretty clear that Cody is seeing things in the run game a little better than Steele at the moment. So, where I guess, like, where does Jim Knowles see that now as it, as it continues to evolve? Yeah, and that seems like it's going to be really important against this Penn State offense, which has no explosive ability really whatsoever and is not stressing teams down the field. But they, they can run the ball consistently, and they can eat up the clock, which you have to imagine – that's the blueprint that every team has tried to use against Ohio State. Penn State uh, and, and Michigan are both more than capable of doing that to yeah. Ohio State. So if that's the case, and again, you know, you take the, the PFF grades with as much grain of salt as you want, definitely on Saturday that favored Cody by a, a decently wide margin. The snap count wound up being 13 more reps in favor of Cody Simon than Steel Chambers on Saturday. So again, as you're saying, it, does, it may not matter who starts uh, if – over the course of the game, who's going to be relied on more? I think that Ohio State is clearly trending towards this point being a Cody Simon. And I said last week on on Friday's daily with bold predictions, like I thought Steele would come out of it. You know, he he recognized that there had been some you know, weaknesses in in the game for the linebackers and himself, and that they were going to get better. And his body of work, you you think for sure, like he's played at a really high level. At some point, he's going to again, but you can't wait forever, and right. yeah. and you can't. You can't drag your feet in a game like this against Penn State either. So, whoever whoever is the hot hand, and right now it seems to be Cody Simon, you know that's that's what you're going to have to do. And it does seem to me as well that Jim Knowles and James Laurinaitis are are willing to make that move pretty quickly. Clearly, yeah. I, which I would not have assumed coming into the year because that wasn't really their mo last year. I I think they're still going to need both of them, right? And you're right. Like I kind of felt like too, like some of the stuff that Steele was saying, like he was going to snap out of that quickly. Sometimes that that takes a little bit, and maybe that happens for him this week. Like he's made some big plays for this defense over the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. He's certainly capable of it. Um, I, I and he could very well do it do it this week. Um, and even maybe maybe the uh, rise of Cody Simon and sharing that workload a little more is something that can light a little bit of a fire under Steele too, and and get some better play out of him. Like I don't I don't think he's been terrible. He's been. He's been not as good as he usually is, but it's noticeable because he has been so good for this defense. And same thing with Tommy. Like when Tommy's had a couple of off games, I thought he had a nice bounce back last week and played a little better. So um, they just need that position to play well. I think whoever it is, like clearly it's going to be Tommy. And whether it's Steele and Cody splitting it or 70-30 Steele, whatever it is, like that group needs to play its best game of the year on Saturday because of the way Penn State runs the football and because, too, they, they are not afraid to target the running backs and the tight ends in the passing game, too, which I think could stress the linebackers out a little bit, too. So they got to get it figured out what the right personnel mix is, but then whoever it is, that group needs to play its best game of the year. So this is tied up to, obviously, Denzel Burke's injury status moving forward this week, but I, I know you and I were, were talking about that you know live on Saturday in Slack. Like, well, Davison's going over to replace Denzel Burke. He's playing in the boundary. They had both Jordan Hancock 
Uh, and Jermaine Matthews getting some look there uh, to the field. I think you'd have to assume that's what they would do if Denzel Burke is unavailable. If he is, I think that that's a really big deal. I mean, I, I just I can't say enough. I, I've thought so highly of the way Denzel Burke has played like that. That changes things. But at the same time, like Drew Aller has not proven that he can take advantage of that opportunity. So I don't know, did you, did you feel like you saw enough late to evaluate that or not? Yeah, I, I mean, Purdue tried to attack Davis and Igwinosin when he when he moved to that boundary corner spot. Um, I thought he had pretty good coverage more often than not. He got beat earlier in the game, or no, I guess it was it was prior to the injury or after the injury when he got beat for that touchdown. I can't remember. Um, doesn't really matter. I I think they're okay there. Um, Penn State, if they were playing a different team with better receivers, maybe I'd feel differently. But Penn State this year just has not been super dynamic at receiver. They have Keandre Lambert Smith, who's been pretty productive. Um, I think I probably trust either Jordan Hancock or Davis Nigmanosin to, to cover him for the majority of a game. And I'm intrigued by the emergence of Jermaine Matthews too. So obviously you want Denzel Burke in there. It's not even for how well he's playing. I just think like he is a leader of that defense or right? you want his presence on the field to help you work through some stuff. Cause you're going to encounter some, some adversity in this game. Penn state's a good team. So not having that presence on the field, I think matters tremendously, perhaps as much as like not having a guy who like shuts down his side of the field, as a cornerback. So we'll have to see how that develops, but I, but I'm simultaneously like bullish on that position group's ability to overcome that loss. Maybe, maybe naively so, but I, I think they're pretty good. So I think they'll be all right. All right. Anything else? No, I think those are, those are the big spots like linebacker and corner. Um, I don't, I, I found what you said about Katie McDonald in the was it in the notebook or snap judgments about him. Like, making a little push here. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a game where you see a lot of him, but maybe that's a down the road question for Jim Knowles. Like, what do you think of what you've seen from him? Yeah, it seems to be, seems to be pushing. Uh, it was a name that came up before the game even started. It was mentioned to me that uh, there was a lot of excitement building for what he was doing. And I was like, well, what do you, I, just for down the road, like next year. And it was like, well, he played today. He's yeah. out there making an impact. I think 12, 13 snaps. I think he finished with, which I would not have projected even after I was told, hey, keep an eye on this guy. Like, yeah. He ran onto the field. I was like, who's 56? <laughs> You're like, it's Katie McDonald. I was like, oh. Yeah. Here you go. Get ready for that. So, I mean, that's that's another part. Like, Ohio State has been willing to, to look at guys. We know that Larry Johnson is going to rotate, especially with those defensive tackles. So, uh, this Penn State rushing attack, like, that's going to be the test. And, and if you don't want Tyleek to play 75 snaps, Mike Hall to play 65 snaps, like, there are going to have to be some other guys who can step up and play at that level because that's that's really the only way that you can rotate against a team like this in a game like this. They have to be playing at the same level of the starters because one drive can make the difference in this game. It sure can. And Penn State has run a lot of plays this year. They've, they they ran more than 90 against Delaware and UMass, which like I get maybe put that aside. But they've had, I think, three other games. Because they can't get any explosives. Yeah, they've had, they've had three other games where I think they've run north of 70. But you're right, it's a it's a... It's a product of them not being particularly explosive, but they hold on to the ball a long time too. So, like the defense, even if I think the defense is going to play well and, and keep Ohio or keep Penn State off the mm-hmm. board for the most part, I think they could be on the field for quite a bit, quite a bit of this chunk of this game. All right. So uh, the the urgency and intensity will again ramp up as Ohio State gets on the practice field on Tuesday, and then they have uh, Ryan Day's weekly press conference with Jim Knowles. We're looking forward to that. We'll have full coverage of that. We'll stream it. We'll have some snap judgments later on. We'll. We'll break it all down for you, as we always do on the podcast. We appreciate you starting this Tuesday with us on the Podcast Daily to talk it all out. That's Bill Landis, and I'm Austin Ward. We'll see you all later.